and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Today, I am here with Steven Lopez, and he is VP of Engineering Technology and Operations at Deem. Before we get started with today's topic, I just would like to welcome you. If you are new, Level Up Engineering is a place where I talk with accomplished technology leaders every other week, and we are over 70 episodes, so I am really glad to have you here. If you just joined, Go ahead and check out some of the latest episodes. And if you are a true fan, then I am happy to have you here again. Welcome, Steven. I am glad to have you. Today, we have a really awesome topic, I think. But before that, please tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, what you like to do, and what's your free time activities. Great. Thanks, Carolina. Thanks for having me. It's an honor being here. I really do appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to speak about digital transformations. So Steven Lopez, I'm VP of Engineering, Technology and Operations at Deem. Deem is a travel company, technology investing into building better applications and products for the travel industry. Essentially what my role is, is to build travel products and to make it easier for folks to travel using our tools. On a private note, I am a uh, triathlon athlete. I've done one Ironman and I run marathons. So a lot of different things, a lot of different interests that I have, but those are just a little few things there. That's really awesome to hear. I feel like digital transformations are also like running marathons. But before I take that any further, let's introduce today's topic. We are going to talk about building the right tech stack for any company or for your company, dearest listeners and watchers. Let's dive right in. Steven has been doing digital transformations for quite a while. And let's start by diving into why a tech stack really matters and how it really informs digital transformation. Please share a little bit about your philosophy and what we should know about this area. Excellent, Carolina. Maybe for the sake of your audience, I'll I'll back a little bit up on digital transformations and talk a little bit about What are the major elements of digital transformation when selecting a tech stack? So if we think about digital transformations, there's three, visualize a Venn diagram, three circles. One circle being technology, which is what we're going to talk a little bit about. One circle are the people, people involved with the actual transformation. And then the last piece is about the processes that govern it. So the three together, the union of those three circles, if you will, where they overlap that sweet spot is where digital transformations come together. So having said that, people process and technology, when we get into digital transformations, what you really have to do is think about the problems you're trying to solve, right? Understand and visualize and understand the people that you're using to work with that technology and then the technology itself. Oftentimes I think people jump right into the technology discussion and try to turn the entire program or transformation into a technology play, which in fact is one of the problems we run into in digital transformations. But having said that, I'm first and foremost, as a leader, put people first when it comes to this, primarily because to me, I can pick the best technology stack and solve great problems with technology. But if I don't have the right people in place to install it, to utilize it, to integrate it correctly into the technology environment that you're putting it in, then it generally doesn't go very, very well. So does that make sense? Right, definitely. I, I'm i actually really glad you said that we should have a bit of context about this because I think mm-hmm. digital transformation has become such a buzzword in mm-hmm. our industry that it might mean fairly different things to fairly different mm-hmm. people. So considering that you are also looking at the people and the processes, not only the technologies, I think gives us a lot more insight into what digital transformations should actually entail. What are some of the things that you look at or evaluate before you look at the tech stack? 
Excellent question. When it comes to assessment of the current problem, like I've done, the, as you mentioned earlier, I've done transformations for a good 20, 25 years now, starting with Compaq and then acquired by HP. And in most cases, digital transformations occur when a company or an IT department may perhaps have not invested properly in, in the technology stack that they're in. So you may have a situation where a technology product is older or aging, antiquated type technology. And what you find yourself over time, maybe 10, 15 years have passed, and you recognize that that you have a bit of a problem. You know, the technology that you're trying to do, the things you're trying to do to keep up with market trends, the stack itself does not lend itself to be able to solve those problems. So generally speaking, that's where someone such as myself and, and folks that do digital transformations come in. What they do is they look at, okay, where are you right now? What are the people that you're using to maintain and update that technology versus what problem you're trying to solve? Is it is it an issue with quality with your product? Is it an issue with not being able to monitor issues? Is it speed of delivery of these changes to production? Is it uh, you know what are the what are the different variables or problems you're trying to solve? Step one I usually do when I go into a, a new opportunity is I look at that. I look at where are we, where do they want to go, what is the vision, strategic vision for that particular product and where they want to go. At Deem, we were doing essentially that that type of thing. What we wanted to understand is how can we put these changes into production, get capabilities to our customers faster? How can we ensure that they are getting the, the care, the quality response times that they need, that we're able to change and move with the market trends? The travel industry in itself has not really innovated a lot. They've done a lot of great integrations between different partners, great content that we've been displaying. But what we don't necessarily do is respond real well to a personalized environment. And so for us, the problem was more about how do we get these capabilities to the hands of our users? How do we ensure that the quality that we're giving them is a quality product, that we know the problems before they see them? It's highly personalized so that when you come into our our apps, we know who you are. We know what it is, the things that you like. We know what are the, the trends that you're looking for. Like you you happen to know that, you know, when you're going on a business trip, the Tuesday, it seems that we're looking at the analytics and we're seeing, you know what, Carolina likes having Italian food on Tuesday nights after work. And so why wouldn't we want to, as part of the itinerary of your business trip, give you suggestions about those type of Italian restaurants around where you're staying? We know where you're staying. We know how long you're staying there. Why not go ahead and suggest those things for you? And go, let's go ahead and make a reservations for you and tell you what time it's open for you to be able to get there. And what's what's the best way of getting there? Is it an Uber ride to the restaurant? Is a within walking distance, et cetera? These are all part of that personalized experience. Well, for us to do that, we didn't have those technologies in place to be able to do those things. We've since done that. And we're able to now catalog a lot of this information be able to then put these capabilities out there, but we need to be able to move fast. Uh, and so to be able to do that, we installed a brand new set of technology, but it first started with understanding the problem. You know, we were not moving fast enough. That was the main problem. So the first step is understand the problem. And then you start looking, as we said earlier, look at the folks, what kind of training are we going to need to give them? Maybe we need to augment them with new people, et cetera, and then go from there. Choosing the technology essentially comes down to understanding the problem. Am I hearing this correctly? You're absolutely right, Carolina. And, and I think that's what fundamentally people forget. You know, what, you know, as technologists, engineers, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that we love working on new tools. We love working on build, you know, fixing problems. But if you don't have the entire context of the problem, right, if, you, if, you, if you're not pulling that information into your problem solving, you're solving a problem, but may not be the one that you intend to solve. And so I encourage any any opportunity when to come in to have first take a step back and let's make sure we all understand what the problem we're trying to solve. Solve that, look at that first, and then understand then the how and, and what else we need to be able to solve it. And that it gets real complex, uh, Caroline, because one of the things that, for example, when I, we talked a little bit about people, when you talk about people on an antiquated platform, well, guess what? They know the platform that they're maintaining. The new platform, like we did here at Deem, we went to microservices. Went from technology that's you know, 10, 15 years old to something that's very, very current, cloud development and CICD 
These are all buzzwords that we hear here now in the industry, but these are also concepts that need to be taught and understood by your folks. You can pick the best technology stack. Absolutely. Uh, that only takes maybe you know a few weeks, a couple of days to figure that out. But if you don't have people to be able to support it, be able to implement it, then you're going to have a bigger problem. Oftentimes, that's one of the fundamental issues that occurs with digital transformations. Right. I think we are hitting on this uh, topic a little bit, so I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. How do you define the difference between a digital transformation and a project in which you choose a different tech stack? Excellent. So, so now that we've covered you know, the digital transformation, let's make sure we understand the difference between that and a, let's say, a regular project, because oftentimes that also gets messed up or confused. Projects in general may be implementing one asset, one piece, or one, one tool, if you will. Digital transformation is more of a holistic view. You have to look at everything from how you develop, what you develop, where you're developing it, with what tools are you developing it with, and again, getting back to the problem again. So digital transformations, first and foremost, are not projects. They're, they're a series of integrated components that you have to think together, not necessarily solve all together, but understand the context of each of those and then bring them together to solve the problem. So when it comes to digital transformations, for me, that's why I'm pushing so much about the problem. Once we understand the problem, we understand, we've assessed the people that you have, then you start looking at, okay, what are the technologies I want to use? If the case is that you want speed over other items or other characteristics, speed is one of the things we did here at Deem that we need to hurry up and do. So we immediately moved to a CSED model, continuous integration, continuous delivery. And the idea behind that is that we can make small changes very fast, but it does come with a cost too. When you use more of a microservices technology stack, which is a dis distributed architecture, then you need more people, right? It, it's not like a, a monolith where you can now you know, do these large releases and implement them. They tend to be slower, but they're optimized. They're optimized to less people needing to do it because you're doing one release. It's kind of the volume approach. If in a microservices technology, you have a bunch of moving pieces, think of them like little nanos that can move independently. Each one of them can be tested, but they can be automated. So our testing is all automated. You know, again, these are implications. You go with a, with a distributed environment, then you got to install things like test-driven technology. You got to put in more of the pipeline so things are tested as you develop, as you go along, and that you have a fairly good idea of the quality of the software once the developer has finished it, once the engineer has finished their code. And it takes a lot of work because you also have to look at in terms of how you gather requirements, right? That also needs to be rethought too. You have to have product managers that understand test-driven development. So they're putting together those qualitative test cases that says this will work when these test cases pass. We put those test cases into the actual pipeline development so that as developers are engineering the solutions, we can validate the quality of that code as we go along. So it's it's shifting, as we say in the industry, shifting testing to the left. These are all, again, tools and techniques, but you need to have the right people, the right technology, and you need to know what problem you're solving. Right. Moving into it a little bit, this sounds like no company should be choosing its tax stack based on the technologies themselves. They should really look around and look at their own processes and look at the problems that they're trying to solve and also look at their own people and what they are used to and how they're working and perhaps see what they might need improvement in. However, we haven't defined what the tech stack includes. So let's look into whether or not it just means, it doesn't just mean programming languages because you already mm -hmm. mentioned CICD, but what do you call the tech stack in this uh, context? So in the tech stack, I consider the entire software development cycle, the entire thing, Carolina. And that's, that's what I mean by holistic. And this is what differentiates digital transformations from regular projects. So think of it in terms of this development, the SDLC, so the software development lifecycle, the whole component, all the tools to support it. So let's take CICD. So since we kind of, I kind of broached that subject already, that includes what technologies are used, so that's software programming languages, that's, that's one piece, but also the type of uh, versioning and code 
are using are using Git. You know, what are the different tools you can use in terms of commanding the versions you're going to be doing? Uh, if you're doing something like CICD, you've got to have a really strong set of tools and disciplines around it to ensure that you're keeping in line with the versions as you put them into production. You need to also make sure if in certain industries, such as ones that use credit cards, you have to worry about PCI, you have to worry about security. At Deem, we do play in that in that field. So we're pulling, we're pulling all our security requirements very early. So our linting, our things that have to do with scanning tools, all those things are part of the pipeline delivery. So it's part of the natural ecosystem, if, if you will, of the software development lifecycle. Those are all have to be considered. Now, I will say one thing, Carolina, but you know, when we talk about these tech stacks, in the new world, as we start moving forward, unlike 15, 10, 15 years ago, uh, you would come up with this tech stack and you would just implement it and you would go, right? Technologies are, are moving so fast these days, Carolina, that my recommendation, and I say this every time I go to a new opportunity, is we will define a tech stack after we've done all our due diligence. We've looked at what you have, the problems, etc. But we need to, have to be flexible enough to say, just like with all types of agile implementations, you're going to try, you're going to have a set of hypotheses, right? You're going to try out those hypotheses. You're going to find that some of them work, some of them don't work as well, and you're going to have to make some updates. So people have to be flexible to try and adjust. So I would say even here at Dean, we, we started with a tech stack three years ago, right? And we, we identified the type of uh, CICD tools we would use, the type of linting tools, the type of scanning tools. But as we start expanding that transformations to our front end, our middleware and, and back ends, we also noticed that we needed to adjust some of the scanning tools, adjust how we wanted to do some of the linting roles, the standards we put into place. These all became part of that solution of the ecosystem. And so when we put together that, that stack, we have to look at the entire holistic view of software development. And I think this might be a little bit on the on the verge of like the processes and mm-hmm. and uh, work management, but like within the tech stack, do you include project management tools like Jira or Asana yeah. or even communication tools like Slack or Teams or whatever it might be? Yes. Oh my goodness, you're asking great. Great questions, Caroline. Absolutely correct. These are all absolutely critical. Often people think about you know, the language. They think about the cloud. But the reality is that what you just pointed out are all the glue pieces. So remember the three circles? The process side, as you correctly pointed out, that's where the JIRA comes in, the confluence pages, the dashboarding that we do. So for example, the testing that we run. Well, as a leader, as we start doing transformations, I want to know uh, how well are our test cases, for example, if I'm, if I'm very quality focused at a certain point of my software development, I want to see a dashboard. I want to see that the test cases that are automatically running, what is the quality of that? How many times are we failing that test when developers are actually trying to code things? That's one way of doing, being able to do it. The monitoring components, all right? Once we start putting things into production, am I able to see what issues are occurring before a customer sees it? That's the true benefit of making sure you have the right tools in place. But these are all part of the solution. At the end of the day, a customer sees whether or not the product works the way they expect it to work. But long before then, we've done a lot of uh, a lot of homework and legwork, if you will, in terms of understanding the scanning components. How often do we scan? How often do we up- update the signatures associated with the, the viruses and things that we're looking for? So these are all part of the, of the solution. And, and you're correctly pointing out that you have to track these issues. You have to track them and maintain them uh, as part of the normal life cycle. So understanding whether you're using, uh, whether it's an, an, a Kanban, if you're doing more of a Kanban approach for um, error detection and resolving, or you're doing it more along the line of your scrums where every, you know, every two weeks or so, you're doing some form of capability enhancement to production. So it's understanding how you want to do your software development, what problem, again, you're trying to solve, it may be more advantageous for some organizations not to go as fast at first, right? So you have to understand what the capabilities of your the folks who are actually doing the development, uh, understanding if especially if they're new technologies. And oftentimes with digital transformations, these are brand new technologies for for teams. And you know you need to try it out a little bit. They they may find that some things have a, a, a steeper learning curve, so to speak. We are hinting on this already a little bit, so I'm just uh, going to go ahead and uh, ask the question. Because mm-hmm. you mentioned 
the knowledge of your developers and the capabilities of your of your software teams can or how can you within choosing the right technology stack fit the company's already existing ideology into the mix we talked about processes and we talked about people but these are i feel a little higher on the abstraction level Mm -hmm. uh, if i may what is your process for this or do you have any examples to share yes this is an excellent question carolina i i you know oftentimes transformations are in a lot of ways culturally impactful right and they could benefit them a lot not to uh, dwell too much on dean but we, we do have very clear values and cultural components associated with the company itself and so what we want to be able to do is match the way we develop with those values so for example one of our values is customers first right so when we talk about customers first as a value proposition engineers should know one what that is fundamentally and to how they contribute to that particular value or cultural component this is how you get into the minds and hearts of people right so for me you know the whole idea behind cicd or rapid development is specifically to ensure that we've done and place uh, customers first so being able to give them the capability they're looking for being able to find if we did make a mistake in production being able to resolve it very quickly if we missed it if we do have a problem can we detect it before they see it these are all very clearly aligned to that value or cultural value of customers first and so you have to embed all three of those pieces together the values of the company the people that you have and making sure they understand the alignment between those two things and the technology mm-hmm. should support that you should not be doing something counter to that so in your years of experience within this area have you run into any company where the technology stack came first and they didn't really have the value alignment yes so actually that's absolutely correct carolina and, and that's why one of the reasons I always talk about being be flexible about technology. In a, a former company, I was asked to come in, and they had already made a, a large investment in certain software licenses. And so what ended up happening is that it's best when you do a transformation when you have either control or some flexibility in all three circles. In this particular case, the technology was already determined, right? And so essentially, you had to use the other two circles as best you could to influence the use of that technology. That basically hand ties you. It, you're, you're tied in a lot of ways. And, and, and I would say that that was probably the least successful. <laughs> I mean, we got, it, we got it done. It's sort of like a square peg into a round hole. You know, you're, you're jamming something in. And yes, you can, put, you can fill in this, the gaps and get it to work. But it's never quite a good fit. So I would strongly encourage companies who are doing digital transformations to really consider that even though you may have purchased technologies or you may have already invested in certain technologies, you may not be solving the problem you're actually trying to solve, right? That in mm-hmm. itself may become the problem. The fact that you're trying to jam in, jam in a technology that doesn't really work for you. So mm-hmm. yes, so to answer your question, yes, I have had that experience. It was somewhat awkward. We made it successful to the extent we could. The company was happy with the solution. But I would probably argue, Carolina, that it could have been a lot more successful if they had a little bit more flexibility on technology. So if if we are thinking about such a transformation and we have a company with which we are working and we have perhaps outlined what the problems might be, what is your process of kind of starting using a technology? You mentioned flexibility and control in all three bubbles of uh, people, technology, and processes. Do you have a secret sauce as to, mm. as to how to get started with uh, such a transformation? So yes, I do. Uh, when, I have control of, <laughs> when I have control of all three, first of all, that's Nirvana. I'll say first and foremost, Carolina, it's very unusual to have the ability to have all three as flexible as possible. I've been very fortunate here at Deem that uh, I came into a situation where they, the leadership here understood that we needed to have flexibility in all three and we were able to do all three. So what I generally do first is I, I don't want to jump right into solving problems. First and foremost, you've got to do the assessment. You have to uh, assess the current situation because every company is going to be a little bit different. 
it's not like I have a template. So my, my approach is more process-oriented. Take a look at the people you have, understand the technology you're in, understand the problem you have. Let's look at those things first. Once I better understand the problem and we have an agreement on the problem, I also make sure you know I evaluate my leaders, the leadership I'm with. Uh, because sometimes uh, the, the leaders and stakeholders don't quite understand what a digital transformation is. And, and quite honestly, they're very complicated. They can be very complicated, especially when we're transforming the technology stack, parts of the culture, the way we do software development, all that is changing. And so we've got to make sure we have the right leaders in place, the stakeholders understand the problems we're trying to solve and understand the, the type of talent we're going to need to have to solve the problems we're looking for. Once I understand those components and the people, I then look at how I want to solve the problem. So it's a lot of homework first. So after I would say at least uh, four to six weeks of just doing research and listening and hearing and understanding, then I start getting into, okay, it sounds like to me then what would make the, a solution, you've got to set up a bunch of a success criteria. So to me, every step I make, Carolina, I know how I'm going to get to the next step or how I'm going to get exit that step. So uh, it's all about ensuring that we have alignment. So do I have very clear success criteria for every step of the way? So if I understand the problem correctly, I'll say these are the success criteria associated with it. Let's solve the problem for that. And not to throw in a, a marathon analogy here, but it is a marathon. And you pointed out that earlier. It is. So my my personal life helps me a lot on this because you don't want to think about 26.2 miles when you're running a marathon, right? You want to think about the mile that you're in right now. So likewise, with the transformation, that's what you want to do as well. Think about the current problem you're trying to solve. In the context of everything else, you're pulling it all together, right? So you take it piece by piece. Uh, the flexibility comes in place that you really don't know what mile 26 is going to look like or even 16 for that matter when you're on mile one or two. Right. So you got to be able to recognize that even though you have a plan for all phases within your transformation, all 26 miles, if you will, you need to be flexible to understand that you may have to adjust. You may need to eat something differently, drink different water when you're on a marathon. Right. You may have to adjust, change the technologies. You may have to change the process. And it becomes step by step transformation. You're looking at the next mile, the next mile, the next phase, the next phase. But as long as you have the storyboard all together in terms of what the end state looks like, you know what the success criteria looks like, the solution of how you get there becomes very flexible. And what ends up happening is you have much more buy-in, not only from the team that you're leading, but also the leadership that you're helping to leverage. I spend a lot of time with software developers and mm -hmm. with very experienced software developers at that. And even they tend to get very excited about new technologies and mm -hmm and what they might be able to do with them and how fast they might be able to develop. Yet you are highlighting that, like a lot of my other conversations, it's more about staying in the problem space for a long time. I don't know if you are familiar with the, with the service design. I facilitate workshops with the, with the methodology and, and here we talk a lot about being comfortable with the problem and making sure you have looked at different perspectives of the problem. And what you're telling me is that really it shouldn't start with being excited about a single technology or something that just came out. It should really start by understanding and staying with the problem for long enough so that you can dissociate from the technology at first. Am I seeing this correctly? You are, you're spot on, Carolina. That's absolutely correct. And I would also say one other piece to it too, and that's that understand what success looks like. I mean, define mm -hmm. what that looks like. When you, when you define the problem, abstracting from the technology for just a, a bit, to your point, stay in the problem space for a little bit. Understand what does success look like when you solve that problem so that we're all aligned. The people you work with, the people who are working for you, the people that you're working to, to help, understand and we're all aligned on what success criteria looks like. What does success look like? And I say that because you, like you pointed out, engineers, and I'm an engineer as well at heart, uh, classically trained, right? Double major math and computer science, right? So I love solving problems. That's what we're wired. That's how. That's why you know most engineers got into being engineers is they love solving problems. The problem is... If you don't understand the problem well enough, and to your point, stay in that problem space long enough to understand what success looks like, you're going to build something 
that solves a problem, but not necessarily the problem you're trying to solve, if that makes sense. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. And mm -hmm. with that, let's talk about the priorities within finding the right tax stack mm -hmm. and within a digital transformation. So we have talked about uh, the processes with which we are working, with the people with whom we are working. We talked about the different technologies and the, the different opportunities we can, we can take when it comes to choosing said technology. How do you prioritize? I feel that I hear that defining what success looks like is the definite number one. How do you go from there? Okay, so once I understand the problem I'm trying to solve and I know what success looks like, we then go into the tools. Like, for example, I'll just take an example, uh, makes it a little bit less abstract and a little bit more concrete. At Deem, for example, we really wanted to not only put out capabilities quickly, we also wanted to make sure that we understood the quality components. So we very quickly decided that a distributed architecture or uh, using microservices with the React front end was what we wanted to do. We started that off as the first step. Very early on in the digital transformation within the first six months, we defined the entire stack. So we looked at all the data stores. We looked at security. We looked at the technology at the front end. We looked at how we wanted to abstract the front end and the back end. Because one of the fundamental things that we wanted to do, with, especially with digital transformations, you have customers that are on your platforms today. right? So as I'm moving out and implementing strangler patterns to take you know function functionality rewriting them and then plugging back in plugging those things back in i've got to make sure that nothing happens to our customers around the platform so there are things immediately that i've got to do so the analogy i always put together on this one carolina is that you know you have a, an airplane you're at you know 5000 feet and you have it's it's uh, the fuselage is full of people already uh, on the plane well what i'm doing is I'm switching out the engines, I'm switching out the wings, I'm switching out the you know the um, the communication channels, and all of which the plane has to stay at 5,000 feet. And in some cases, they wanted to go up to you know 7,000 feet. You're adding more revenue, more customers into the plane. So with that in mind, I'm looking at things like monitoring tools, right? I'm looking at things like the scanning components. So I'm taking PCI credit card numbers. I gotta make sure those things are all in place. I gotta make sure that the infrastructure also helps support my objectives. Again, because I have a success criteria that says very clearly that security is a success criteria, that our compliance to you know, PCI and audits, those are also as part of it. But, but then I look at that. Well, what's the number one thing that makes it difficult for a lot of these compliance and PCIs as your, your audience is going to probably test to is gathering all the information, right? So why not institute that as part of the software development process so that as we're developing it, it automatically spits out the documentation you're going to need when you start with those requirements again, right? So looking at those tools from the front, planning ahead of time as you go along, uh, the testing components, right? We started looking at what kind of testing tools we wanted to do. We recognized that a microservices type environment required us to do really good testing. And what I mean by that is not, you know, a six week focused testing. It's like testing incrementally as you go along, making sure that you have results as you go along, that you have the right visibility through dashboards, et cetera, as you go along. And then what you want to be able to do is make sure when you insert this into a production environment, especially when you're using strangler patterns, that you have enough logging to give you the right detail you want to have, make sure you have the right monitors around to detect those issues, and then being able to have the right people to go off and do the work for you. Because a lot of times when you're doing digital transformations, you need new folks with new technology uh, focus and those who have domain knowledge on the old platform. You got to combine those together. And talk about your secret sauce. The secret sauce for me has always worked that as we identified those functional pieces that we want to replace, you take the team that knows the most about it on the older platform with the team that's going to re rewrite them, put them together as one team, right? And let them then rewrite a solution that's superior than they have right now. And then before it goes back into the platform. So you have a, a much higher success rate when you compare those two together. Oftentimes with digital transformations, the team who's on the older platform may feel somewhat vulnerable because we're replacing functionality. That gets rid of that problem. You put those folks with the folks that are rewriting it together, and they're not only part of the domain knowledge to guide the team, but also they're part of the solution as we go forward. So there's no, my work is going to go away uh, type situation. 
I love that. So when you are gauging what the problems really are so that you can, at the end, figure out what the technologies might really fix the issues that Mm -hmm. you have, you also have to look at the existing knowledge within the team. You have to also look at what knowledge might be needed as you are completing the project. We are looking at this from a very holistic view, but I I need to ask, do you have such an example when perhaps the problems that the business was facing weren't the same problems as the developers were facing? And if so, how did you square that circle? Sure. So it's a very common problem. (laughs) It happens quite often. It really, really does. Generally speaking, so when transformations, digital transformations, you know, as we mentioned earlier, you have kind of usually an older version of stack, and then you have the new stack that you're building. Uh, I think the challenge generally happens is the business is going to want to talk about the new stuff, but the new capabilities, the mm-hmm. new uh, new approach. If you're having to maintain the existing platform, oftentimes you still have to maintain it, which means you still have what we call tech debt debt that we have not paid yet or have not paid down on the on the old stack. And so there's where the tension can build a bit in the sense that whenever we're working on any tech debt stuff, it takes away from the capacity you could do with the new stuff. And so there's generally this nice tension between the two. What I normally do to ensure we don't get misaligned on that is that I take great pride in working with my business partners up front. And kind of the conversation we're having right now, we have this conversation so they understand the context of what we're about to embark on. And then we align, we create you know product roadmaps and we create a technology roadmap. And we show what we're doing, why we're doing it, understand when we're doing it, and understand how the two have to coexist together. That we can't you know work independently of each other because it's the same resources. So we coordinate, we compromise, we agree to the compromises when we make them, and then we push forward. So we kind of can avoid the conflict. Now, it, it may still occur. There may be some situations like with a third-party vendor who may come in and say, hey, you need to upgrade your APIs. If you don't upgrade the APIs, we're going to shut you off, or it can get that extreme. So in those situations, you can't always plan those. And so we recognize those things occur, and then we, we plan accordingly. We stick it in there, get agreement, and then move forward. So I guess my approach, my management style there, Carolina, is that I believe in partnerships, and I believe in collaborating. And I believe in being very uh, open and transparent. To me, it, it just makes the working environment so much easier. And it's also consistent with one of our values, which is trust at, at Dean. So I would strongly encourage, especially with digital transformations for any of your audience who's listening, you know, build that relationship because you're going to be, it's going to be tried for years. You know, digital transformations are usually three to five years long and they take a lot of collaboration and trust. So. Right. We could have an entire other episode on how to build the trust within your engineering teams mm. and within any team to be to be quite fair. Awesome. I couldn't agree more with you. Do you have a story of resolving such a conflict? You mentioned that you have seen this more often than I thought you might have. So if you could make this a little more concrete for our listeners as to if they are in such a situation where the domain knowledge is feeling a little obsolete and the business is going after the new shiny technologies if you could you know just give us an example as to as to how that was resolved sure so let me let me just speak to one that I've I, I've seen in the last three opportunities as well, you know last three uh, companies I worked with. In all three cases, we're moving from on-prem development to cloud. And I'm sure several of your audience, most of them probably are already there or in the process of getting there, if not already there, right? Uh, but there are a lot of companies that are still on-prem. And so oh, sure. oftentimes when it comes to a digital transformation, that's part of the <laughs> part of the success criteria, being able to code in the cloud, be able to have developers anywhere, especially with, with covid uh, you have uh, resources that want to basically be distributed. They want to be able to work in any part of the country or part of the world for that matter. So cloud uh, environments lend themselves very well to be able to do that. But it does create a, an opportunity or a, somewhat of a tension because you've got to have the right tools and environments to support that, which, again, getting back to the business folks, they don't necessarily want to know how you do it. They just want to know what you have when you get it done 
right? And so there lies in some of the some of the examples. So obviously, in the last three companies, are basically the same type of issue. They want to work on things that are going to be new capabilities that their customer our customers would want to have and use. In some cases, they've been waiting for them for a while, but I can't really get there unless I move to the cloud. Oftentimes, that's the discussion we need to have. So we start with, this is where we are. We're on on-prem. This does not lend itself to the things you want. So it's on our critical path. We've got to get this done. And here are some of the shortcuts we're going to take to get there. But I need you to help me with that, which means you've got to give me you know, 30% capacity of my engineering teams allocated specifically for the movement. And in some cases, we will do a shortcut. One company that I was with, we didn't do a rewrite. We did a lift and shift. So that's one option. Just move it unrefactored, so to speak, stick it into the cloud in its, in its current state. That's one quick way to do it. Removes all the on-prem, and then we start rewriting it in cloud, cloud native. Mm-hmm. That's one shortcut. Other ones will say, no, let's do it right when we shift it. So when we move it, we move it to the cloud, we move it in the right, so we don't have to worry about any tech debt. The first one, you're adding tech debt, right? You're, you're basically saying, okay, I'm going to put it to the cloud, but it's in the old architecture, so you you still have all that tech debt. Other companies such as Deem, we said no, we're not doing that. We're gonna we're going to do it correctly, so we don't have any tech debt when we get to the cloud. And there's various scales in between there, Carolina, that, that that companies can take. But again, it gets to conversations with your business, conversations with your leadership teams, because these are expensive moves. And have no doubt that they you know you have to have the the fortitude to get through each one of these phases as you go through it. And those companies that I did, they understood those. The tension I was referring to when it happens more often is that when people don't quite understand what that is, and it's not that they resist it. I think once they understand, they're all for it, right? But it's getting to that that common understanding that's the challenge. Right. So it's another case of educating your partners in whatever field you are in Mm -hmm. and then going from there. We are quickly approaching the end of our time. But I have to tell you, I am so interested in what you have to say to a technology leader who is so excited about a single technology that's new and shiny Mm -hmm. and doesn't want to stay in the problem space and just wants to implement the newest, shiniest version of Mm -hmm. whatever it is that they have just found out about. Well, I can tell you that I've fallen into that trap. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, I've done it for early on in my career. I, I will say, Carolina, that your chances are much higher if you, as we discussed, stay in the problem space for just a little bit longer, right? And the reason why I say that is that your likelihood to succeed goes up exponentially over time if you can stay in there just a little bit longer. Now, don't stay there forever. <laughs> stay in there long enough to where you really understand the problem and have success criteria. Uh, because you, you may find that even though that shiny new penny, so to speak, this shiny new technology, may not be solving the problem you're looking for. Oftentimes, as engineers, we have a technology and we're trying to find a problem right, to, to solve it with. That's, kind of, <laughs> right. that, that's reverse, right? And, 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 you know, technology by its definition automates a process or... Uh, makes things easier for something that's already defined, which means you've understood the problem. If you jump into a solution, you may solve a problem, but it may not, again, may not be the problem you're really trying to solve. So I would say to those excited technology leaders is to give yourself the time, give yourself a little bit of time. There, there's no rush. It may be, in fact, that the technology really is going to solve your problem, and that's great. But then you can explain it too, because I can tell you, your coworkers, your teams, they're all going to ask you the question, why? And you've got to have a good answer right. for it. As leaders, that's what you have to be able to do is connect the dots. We have to be able to lead. We have to be able to explain. And so that extra bit of time that you're, you're spending will make you a better leader. Thank you. That's really well said. And it will also help you uh, be able to motivate your team to actually Correct. want to use that technology that you have chosen. Do you have a story of choosing a technology for a business? Mm. Just start with the with the part where you were talking about the three areas of mm-hmm. technology, people and processes and of arriving to a place where a technology was agreed upon and perhaps that it was a success. Yes, absolutely. So I'll just talk about the current one because it's really, it's fresh and new. But at Deem, you know, we're like I mentioned earlier, the travel industry, we haven't done a lot of innovation into it. I do technologies. I've been in multiple industries. I've been in technology, I've been in services, retail, and now travel. And so what I would say is common across all of those is that once we did the preliminary stuff and we've 
started with the technology stack. So once we understand that piece. So here at Deem, I mentioned a little bit earlier, we decided on React. We also decided on the cloud solution. We wanted to go with Google. So we went with the GCP. And we also recognized that we wanted to use a lot of the native components of Google's uh, platform. So we used uh, GRCP calls. We, used, we also created this abstraction layer called GraphQL. And the reason why we did that is because we knew we wanted the front and the back ends to run at different speeds. So by abstracting that, we're able to use some of the old APIs as we updated the front end. And that was what was important to our business. What, what they wanted to see is new capabilities as fast as possible. They wanted to see the new pages. They wanted to see the new mobile apps we created. Uh, so we created a lot of these mobile apps and the new websites using GraphQL to abstract. So you didn't really necessarily know whether it was the old or new and we had it coexist. And we started changing out those old APIs, REST APIs into you know new Golang type microservices. All the while adding in the other pieces that we're trying to solve, the monitoring, the logging, the error detection, the testing automation, the tools. And the important thing there, Carolina, is that it's not one and done. We found certain scanning tools that we really liked. And then we said, well, you know, maybe we should use this one instead, or maybe this set of testing tools, because some of the testing is going to be different, whether it's a front-end or a back-end type tools. So we really understood what problem we're trying to solve. So we, we selected multiple testing tools to make sure that we had the entire stack fully tested. But again, I think going into this, we were flexible. We knew we needed to be flexible about this, and we adjusted it as we gone along. And it's been it's been a you know a great ride. It's been a, <laughs> a great experience, and I think the the teams are very happy and excited about working on them. Oftentimes, that's that's part of the problem is not getting the right excitement going. But it, again, if you know the tools, you understand the, the stacks, you understand you're abstracted, you can show the plan, you can show how they're going to be integrated, how they're working as part of that solution, connecting it to the company values, connecting it to what we're trying to do with customers. It tells an entire picture and technology should be part of that solution, absolutely. But it also needs to be solving a problem that you're trying to get to, right? So, Thank you. I really like this idea of you having this Venn diagram of the people, the technologies, and the processes together, and then saying digital transformation is where these three meet. So you can't really look at technologies in a vacuum because they are there to solve your problems, not to find problems for the technologies, as you have mentioned. So I, I really love that. And you mentioned you can't just focus on different programming languages or databases or or what, whichever kind of cloud solution you want to use. You also have to look at security and lending tools and whatever delivery pipeline you're, you're using. But also before that happens, I think you put it really greatly that you have to find out what the actual problem is or problems are, and then see what an ideal solution might look like for those problems. So define any clear success criteria that is motivating for your people and also not demotivating for any of your, for your old people. Mm-hmm. And also something that you can aim at and, and kind of, aspire to at the end of the project and clear communications. I feel like that that is one of the key takeaways of every interview I have, Mm -hmm. but also that you made it sound like, and I think that's kind of the theme of our world. It's really a never ending story. You, You always have to look at it from an agile perspective of new iterations or new problems arising and you have to continue on with this mindset of holistically looking at the company that you're working in and the solutions that you might be offering. So Spot with that on. said, Spot on. Is there, <laughs> thank you. Is there anything else that you think is important for our listeners to know within this area? Absolutely. So last thought, I, I just want to put it in there because we didn't touch on this one, but it's also really important. You mentioned Agile. One of the major principles is the the constant improvement, but also failing fast, recovering fast. With digital transformations, as much of that you can incorporate into the way you select technologies, the way you use technologies, the way you match them, the faster you fail is not a bad thing. It is a very good thing. Fail fast, recover fast, move on. Don't dwell on any of these things that 
may not have worked perfectly the first time. So that's one of the last thought I wouldn't want your listeners to know is that, you know, we talked about this in a very pragmatic way, but the reality is that, you know, these projects can get messy and that's okay. You know, that's the whole idea about you know, trying things, putting forth those hypotheses and, and trying them and, and verifying, validating them and learning things quickly. To me, that is at the heart of all this type of transformation. So just want to make sure we got that in and that they, you know, your audience can hear that because I think oftentimes people get really worried about making mistakes. You know, I picked this technology, I'm stuck with it, I'm going to go with it. No, um, you've got to have that flexibility and recognize that changing, adjusting is the right thing to do. Technology changes every day. We Every day, even the conversations we're having right now will change. Some of the things we picked already at Deem today, you know, six months from now, we may need to adjust. It keeps moving. That's the that's the beauty behind technology is that it keeps growing organically and, and you adjust to it. Right. Thank you so much. I I want to take it to a philosophical level and say the journey is what you need to enjoy because you never you never get to the goal entirely. I love that. Thank you so much. I think this was a really insightful conversation. Where can our listeners follow your work or follow Deem? I would go uh, to the, my LinkedIn page. I have uh, now I can obviously page page out there. Um, it's LinkedIn Stephen Lopez, and I have uh, an extension twenty twenty two. The thing in Reach, I uh, have my pieces out there. I have uh, a blog I put together already for Deem, and any other podcast that I do will be posted there as well, so they can reference it. And feel free to reach out, and they can also message me on LinkedIn as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. And with that said, today we talked about building the right tech stack for your company. We touched on digital transformations because you can't really look at technology stacks in a vacuum. And today my guest was Steven Lopez, VP of Engineering, Technology and Operations at Deem. Thank you, Steven. I think this was really fun. I had a great time talking with you. I had an excellent time, Carolina. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Right. Dearest listeners and watchers, I am Carolina Tot. This is the Level Up Engineering Podcast, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.